You're listening to the QPEM Podcast. To listen to our previous Sunday worship services, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's qpem.org. This week's message was given by Pastor Peter Kim. And we're back. We are worshiping remotely again today. What a week it's been, right? Uh, as I did announce in the elders aboard, we uh, shared um, through the emails, our website, and Facebook. Um, Big announcement this past Tuesday night, our senior pastor, Reverend Kim, on the Korean congregation, he tested positive for COVID-19, right? And that was a big, you know, obviously a shock to all of us. Um, we thankfully and, and we praise God that Reverend Kim uh, is, is healthy, he's quarantining at home, he's not experiencing any severe symptoms, uh, we're very thankful for that. I ask uh, for the QPEN family to keep Reverend Kim in your prayers. God will help him recover fully and give him strength during this time. Please also pray for his wife, uh, uh, Kim Salmonin, that God will protect her as well. Uh, of course, uh, with that, uh, on Tuesday night, the elders and, and Reverend Kim and, and the QPEN elders and I, we met together and uh, we made a decision collectively as a safety precaution to our members at church, uh, the Korean congregation and our English congregation, we made the decision to go fully remote today. Again, I want to let you know, it wasn't an easy decision, but I was just going to close the doors again. Of course, uh, um, that's not to be taken lightly. You know, this decision, we know the impact uh, that it will have. Um, I know last time we had to close for two weeks. I know it created, again, some uh, fears and, and, and doubts, instilled some uncertainty in our members again, and, and we hate to see that as uh, we're, we're building momentum, and, and we want to continue to encourage our members to feel safe when they're coming to QPAM at our church with the screening process, the social distancing and the mask wearing that we're all enforcing here. And uh, we're, we're thankful for that. But for the safety of everyone and just for the wisdom, we decided to close doors today. But uh, in hindsight, the Lord really uh, has his wisdom, doesn't he? Um, the Lord has great wisdom. Remember, Ecclesiastes has been teaching us that. It's not our wisdom or what we think we should do or right, but really through prayer to seek God's wisdom. We learned last week it is through his son, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom in this world. And, and incredibly so, um, you know, with that decision to uh, go remotely this Sunday, on late Friday nights, a QPEN member contacted me and he shared that he tested positive for COVID-19. And this member actually attended QPEN worship last Sunday in person. We spoke with the member and the member, you know, really uh, was so diligent in, in going through all the people that he had close contact with here in, in church. And we notified all the individuals, contact tracing. Again, I want to be clear what that uh, you know, close contact really means. I know some of you that may have been uh, at church last Sunday, you're wondering, hey, I wasn't contacted. What's going on? Close contact, okay, again, to the CDC guidelines, it's very clear. It's uh, six feet social distancing. Uh, if, if you were within six feet for more than 15 minutes at a time with this uh, person that tested positive, that's considered a primary contact or direct contact. And so any of those people that were in direct contact, we have absolutely uh, made sure to uh, reach out and, and contact them. Um, you know, the CDC guidelines, uh, for some of you are wondering why we didn't disclose the name, um, very clearly states that when we uh, call those who had direct contact with an individual, it's not to give out the name of that individual even when asked. We have to absolutely respect the privacy of our members and, and so we keep the identity confidential. Uh, we also don't want to create a culture here at church where if someone does get infected, they're afraid, you know, to share and, and this new to inform the church, uh, they don't want to put their name out uh, out of fear of, of you know getting uh, it, it exposed to everyone. We want to respect that, 
I want to honor that, that confidentiality, but I want to reiterate again uh, for some of you that may have some concerns um, that we've had, uh, again, conversations with this member and we were able to identify all those in direct contact and and, and may I want to make it very clear too that there's, there's absolutely no connection between Reverend Kim's positive test on Tuesday and our QPEN member this past Friday. They definitely had no interaction or contact whatsoever. This didn't happen at church. And so we want um, you to know that it is safe to come here to QPEN still to worship. And the decision that our elders and, and, and we made regarding this um, uh, to really put the safety and priority of you guys here uh, at, at the forefront, we're grateful for your understanding and the trust that you put in our QPEN leadership and our church as well. Um, but I, I do understand with this decision um, that there is going to still be questions and there's going to be perhaps even more fear raised and doubts. And we're going to wonder, should I s still come now to QPEM, to church? Uh, should just we wait till we get all vaccinated and then after this pandemic is over, then do we just go back to being church and, and whatnot? You know, we are looking at this, even this pandemic and even the decision to come to church, whether or not, we're looking at this from different perspectives. And it's clear, we all have our own perspectives, how we view life. Um, perhaps if you're young, you know, you're healthy, you're a college student, young adult, you're healthy, you, 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 know, you have no symptoms or whatnot, and, and you just want to continue to have normalcy of life, social interactions and engagement. And, and so we, we, there's maybe not that fear of coming and, and meeting and worshiping in person. But I know there's some of you that live, live with elderly at home. You have parents or grandparents at home that are uh, compromised, immune symptoms are weak, and and we have parents with health issues and older members or deacons or married families that have some health concerns. It all affects our perspective, right? We all have different perspectives because of this. You know, the question I ask today on this Lord's Day, where are we getting our life perspective in how we look at this world, you know? When you see a situation where, where there is a decision to even come to church or not, what is it that gives you your perspective on life? From what standpoint do you process everything that you see and you experience, you know? You know, think about it, just even simple things like today, you know, hey, we got the Super Bowl tonight coming up, great game, uh, two you know, amazing teams going at each other, Tampa Bay with you know, the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady going against uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, who are you going to root for? You know, as a Giants fan, as a New Yorker, I, I've always held true that if you're a New Yorker, you never root for Boston in anything, okay, regardless of whether they're you know, New England Patriots or whatnot, Boston, we never root for Boston. And I, I, to be honest with you, it irks me when some New Yorkers, they say, I'm, I'm a New York, you know, Yankee fan or, or, or Giants fan, but yet I still like Tom Brady. I mean, it's just, it's not possible, guys. But, you know, the perspective that we have on how we're going to root for the teams tonight, yeah, I grew up a New York fan. There's no way I'll root for Brady. But perhaps you look at a different uh, perspective tonight's game. Hey, he is now the greatest of all time, right? And so he's no longer a New England Patriot, so he's on Tampa Bay. So what if we just want to root for him because he is the best, uh, perhaps ever, maybe the older generation like me who grew up with uh, watching him, we, we respect his play, and so we're going to root for him tonight versus perhaps a younger generation 
The younger generation, maybe some of you young adults or costumes that, that grew up with Patrick Mahomes now and say, no, he's the best and he's going to be the greatest ever. We all have different perspectives based on our generations and how we uh, have been brought up. Think about food, you know. We have perceptions on food. I grew up in New York. I still say New York pizza is the best in the world. Nothing compares. When I went to seminary in Trinity, my Chicago friends are like, no, Chicago pizza is the best. I'm like, that's not even pizza, you know. That's not even, it's, it's, like, it's like a pie or something. But you know, we always have debates. And then, you know, perhaps when I visited Italy uh, back 10 years ago, people in uh, Sicily, uh, they would argue, hey, no, actually, please, New Yorkers, this is the birthplace of pizza, right? I mean, it all depends on where your perspective is, you know. What is it that gives to you your perspective on life? Is it just your life experiences? Is it just education? What you see on the news, the media, YouTube, you know? We all have different perspectives on how we view and understand everything in this world. And even the things that I just mentioned, silly things, sports, you know, food. What if now it pertains to the important matters of life? What perspective should we have on life? What perspective ought we to have on death? You know? How should we view it? You know? And I've been sharing a lot, again, so much of this teaching from gleaning the insights from David Gibson's Living Life Backwards. And, and he was sharing, again, how the Bible's wisdom literature, it's part of the means that which God uses to change the standpoint that we have, the viewpoint uh, of how we see the world. It ought to radically shift our perspective on how we look at this world. The wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, we've been going through is a part of that wisdom literature. Yeah? It ought to shape our perspectives, you know. If we don't have this wisdom literature, if left to our own, all we have are just the perceptions of this world, the perspectives of the things under the sun that, that's on earth, you know, whether perspectives of life that we see through just either youth or beauty or success, career, personal happiness, you know, that's how we would approach life. But Ecclesiastes, the preacher there has been teaching us to think about life from actually not the things under the sun here as we're living, but from this perspective of death, right? He says, death is inevitable. It'll meet us all. So we ought to actually stand by the graveside and then learn from death and how we ought to live this life, right? Where should we stand to think about being still young, perhaps, and what it means to have you know, this energy right now in our youth and how we ought to use that for our life, uh, it's not this standpoint of things, perceptions, as we're seeing it under the sun on earth, but yet a life's perspective above the sun. Not under the sun, but to see life above the sun. Ecclesiastes is urging us to think about approaching our life in everything that we view here under the sun from the perspective of life above the sun. To think about not just what we know here on earth, but to live with the perspective of especially things that we do not know, things that are above in heaven, only known actually by God, to see life perspective in that way. See, in today's passage, in Ecclesiastes 11, the preacher is asking us this question, where do you stand to look at the things that actually you don't know about in life? What is your perspective on the things in your life that you cannot control? You know, what are the things that we do instinctively 
Well, we look at things that are certain, what we do know. We look to what we can achieve, and, and, and doing this will help us cope with what we don't know. That's what we approach life with. But the perspective of Ecclesiastes is different. The preacher is telling us to look at things we know from the perspective of the things that we don't know. <laughs> Think about that. It's, it might sound a little confusing here. But here's the thing. Once we're understanding and we get to realize there are certain things in life that we just will never know. And once we realize that actually we should stop trying to know all these things, then that truth actually changes the way we think about the things that we can know. The uncertainties of life actually help to shape the influence on the certainties of life per se. And that is this perspective of life, seeing it above the sun. You know, there's three key insights that the preacher gives to us in our passage today about the things that we do not know. And I want to kind of go through this here. Um, Three things that we do not know, and then we'll close with certainly what God gives to us that we are to know moving forward from this text. So in verses 1 to 2 in Ecclesiastes 11, Starts out by saying, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. You know? In verse one, maybe a bit confusing, just talking about casting bread upon waters, giving a portion to seven or eight. We're going to get to that just in a little bit. But here at the end of verse two, look at what it says. It says, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. What that means is a theme that we've been seeing again in this book. We do not know the future. We don't know what the future holds. We do not know what disaster actually may happen on earth. You know, the next two verses, verses three to four in our text, you know, the clouds are full of rain. They empty themselves on earth. If a tree falls to the south, in a place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He observes the wind will not. So, I mean, these uh, verses here, you know, so on, the writer's telling us that while certain things are inevitable that we see, where the clouds, you know, there's rain, trees fall, while we can read signs and maybe life has this kind of pattern that we see, ultimately we don't know what will happen in our future. We don't know... <laughs> What will be, even if it rains? We normally know when it rains, but we cannot predict. Is there be a flood? Is there be a disaster? We cannot know with what disaster may happen on earth. You know, what's he saying? You know, sometimes you know, have you lived with someone that has a um, uh, a terminal illness? You know, again, as I've uh, been next to my uh, nephew Jake uh, for a year and a half, of watching him and. And just really fight the cancer, and and his dad, my my cousin, uh, just really walking with him together. We we knew the time would come, and and we're preparing for death um, to say our goodbyes. And perhaps sometimes we have that uh, time to do so. But sometimes we walk up, snowing outside. We can be driving home. Who knows? Lord forbid, if if it's God's time, we can be hit by a truck, and that's our time as well. Disaster can strike. We just don't know, right? Think about the truth of this verse. I mean, I, this January 26th, just last week, marked the one-year anniversary, can't believe it, of a tragic um, you know, helicopter crash that took uh, Kobe Bryant and seven other uh, people's lives, right? And think about it. Kobe Bryant's 41 years old. He reached the pinnacle of his career as a future Hall of Famer, five national champions, five championships, NBA 
MVPs, revered not just as, a, as, a, as an athlete, but as a role model, as a spokesperson, and people looked up to him, and, and now he was beginning the second chapter of his life, you know, about uh, the chapter that he most looked forward to with his family, his wife, his, his four daughters now, a baby girl, and his, his daughter, Gianna, uh, who was a basketball, budding basketball star as well. Can you imagine just that future now he's looking forward to? He, he's finished his career He's got his whole life now ahead of him. He, he, he was an author of a book. He, he's, he's going into you know, the Oscars and getting these awards. And he's about to embark, and yet all of a sudden, on one morning, it's taken away. Helped out the crashes. And disaster strikes. The preacher's reminding us, we do not know what disaster may happen on earth. This is real. This is real life. It's not just talking about, again, a, a distant death that will come to all of us in the future. It's not just about just the long-term future down the road. Even year to year, the plans we make, month to month, even week to week, day by day. How often do we plan every day in our life? You know, I, I'm a planner. I was an engineer. I like to you know, get things, I guess, laid out in the calendar, my favorite app on my phone, the business calendar. It has all the different little, you know, calendars in my, you know, the church responsibilities, church meetings, and, you know, family stuff, and, you know, the finances, and even I put the games, the sports games that I have to watch and all that. All these things are packed into this calendar. I plan it all out. The question is, how often do my plans that I put in that calendar actually work out the way we plan? Right? Think about it. Yeah, we get this concept that, yeah, we cannot know the future. Sure, Pastor, I get that. We cannot know the future. But in reality, we are living as if, no, actually, we think we do, right? We have plans for this week, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to accomplish. I put them in my calendar. You know, I had great plans for this past week, you know. This past week, oh, Lord, I was looking forward to, you know, now coming back to church. My kids are going back to school again. Praise the Lord. And then I'm going to come and just you know, now take care of the things. I can focus in the office, ministry plans, schedule, prepare for the, the ministry, evangelism class coming up, the talk with Pastor Rich, plan the young adult stuff, all these things we had planned here this coming week. And then I get that dreaded email that all parents now are dreading to, to get in their inbox uh, from, you know, P.S., you know. Public school, this now urgent message. Uh, we had more COVID cases at the school, and now your kids uh, will have to go remote again for 10 more days. I sank to my knees, I'm telling you. Good Lord, Lord, please. <laughs> so now, this whole week, okay, boys are back. My Monday, uh, no more Monday off again. Not just that, on Monday, what happened? I'm trying to be home with my boys and just help them with school. Blizzard, blizzard, right? Boys love it, right? The boys, Caleb, look, oh, daddy, I love it. Let's go outside. Let's build an igloo. Let's have a snow, you know, a snowman. It's fun. And for me, it's misery again, right? Get the shovel out. I hate the snow. I really do as an adult now, okay? Three hours of just back slaving, just agony now, right? Didn't plan that for sure. And then what happens on Tuesday morning, 6.30 a.m. in my house, power goes out. Okay, we lose power in our neighborhood. And now there's no internet for my boys' school. How are they going to go do their Google class? I'm trying to go on my phone, create a Google hot or an internet hotspot, and all that stuff is a mess. 
And then Tuesday night, what do we do? We get the call from Reverend you know, Kim and the church. He tests positive. We have session meeting, elders meetings till midnight. We had the prayerful decisions made. All right, you know, keep him, you know, let's, let's continue moving forward. And then late last Friday night, this past Friday night, again, the member contacts me, um, COVID positive again. The pastors, uh, us, uh, you know, Pastor Rich and I, Deacon Levy, you know, those are uh, of us that are serving here. We then have to go get tested. We all, thankfully, uh, tested negative yesterday with the rapid test. And now we have to plan out and reschedule the, the ministry plans. And, and how often does life work in the way we plan out, church? Do we know for certain the things that I planned will actually happen? The preacher says, no, you don't. So why are we living as if we believe we know the future, as if the future is certain? It's not just about, you know, hey, of course we have to be responsible and, you know, good planning is always a wise thing, even that's biblical. But have you, in the back of your mind, realized that you do not actually know all the things that you have planned out will actually come to pass? Do you know that? The Bible's saying, no, we don't. So if you don't, then will that change or make any difference to the way you go about your week, this coming week, church? This is what the question the Bible is asking us today. The first thing we do not know very clearly, we do not know our future. So how will that then impact the way we live and plan out this coming week's life here, right? The second thing we don't know, we see in verse five. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. This is the second thing we don't know, the preacher says. We don't know the work of God who makes everything. The spirit, how it comes into the bones and the womb of a woman and a child. How are babies made? I don't know. God knows, how big is this universe? Are we, are, you know, are we the only, you know, the earth here and this entire, you know, universe of universe? God knows. You know. When will this pandemic end? How will this all end? We do not know these questions. There's certain things that only God knows. We can manage and try, but it says God is actually the one who makes everything. We don't know, but God alone can answer, yes, I know, I know. Even this past week, you know, with the COVID test results that we were getting from our senior pastor, think about it, you know, from our senior pastor of our church, the Korean congregation, you know, we had the meeting, Zoom meeting with the elders on late Tuesday night and then uh, Wednesday morning with the staff again. And, you know, just to share some insight um, on our senior pastor, uh, probably a lot of you don't really know him, you know, just a, a humble man of God, just, a, just wonderful visionary, a leader. Yet, you know, in that meeting that he had with us, um, we saw a side, um, perhaps we, we don't really see much in leaders, just that heart inside emotions coming out, you know. And our senior pastor was sharing with us, you know, I'm so sorry for what has happened. He says, I, as a senior pastor, ought to be leading the church up front, you know, giving courage and confidence to all our members in these challenging times, but here I am, my health has now brought burden to our church and to the members. He said, I am sorry, I'm sorry. 
In fact, a QPAN member who also tested positive shared the same thing to me as well. I'm sorry for burdening you, Pastor Peter, and the elders with, with this and what's happened now, impacting even QPAN. I, I told the member and I told him and prayed for Reverend Kim during that meeting as well. Reverend Kim, please, do not have guilt, any burden. You don't have to apologize for what's happened. For everything happens for a reason. Everything under the sun, all of it is under God's sovereignty. Do we believe that, church? God is sovereign. Only God knows why things happen. We don't know the reasons. We may seek to, but only God knows. Do we trust then in his plans? Do we trust in his purposes? You know, David Gibson's writing, again, this desire to know all these things about everything that there is to know, that's our human nature, isn't it? To know it in all ways and at the right times and to have every bit of relevant data in front of me. You know, I like to have that information, sure, to assess, evaluate, to, to respond. Well, he's saying that's the kind of control over the world that Ecclesiastes has been teaching us. We need to surrender. We need to surrender this desire for control, to know everything, to have everything in our life under control. Ecclesiastes is saying, let it go. Because it is not under our control. We need to surrender it. We do not know the work of God who makes everything. I cannot know. So, guess what? I don't have to know. Trying to know or pretending to know, the, the preacher says, it's actually foolishness. It's contrary to wisdom. We think that it's wise to try to know everything. It's actually the opposite, the preacher's saying. Stop trying to be like God. He knows. So do you trust in him? Do we truly trust in him and his wisdom? We don't know (laughs) everything. Can we surrender our control over to him? In our final verse, we see the third thing. We just do not know under the sun. It says, in the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What this preacher is saying here is, you do not know which will prosper, this or that. We're living in a world where we are trying to prosper, aren't we? That's why we are here in this you know, society where we were taught to be educated, go to the best schools, get the best jobs, make the most money, live in the best house, have the nice picket white fence, drive the best cars and wear the most you know, expensive accessories, all these things to succeed, to prosper. No one's trying to fail. But the preacher is reminding us this is also something we do not know. In fact, what is success, right? We've talked about. We don't know how to guarantee success here. There's no way to guarantee that, to avoid failure in life. There's no one magic formula. If we just follow that, then we will all be, I guess, successful in the worldly sense. No. The world tells us all these things. And there's these, you know, hey, especially in this COVID season, you know, a lot of people are home and some of our, our, uh, many members and, and people in this world are, are now unemployed and they're without jobs. And now they're watching late nights and infomercials come out. And there's all these little programs and these little, uh, you know, people that come on, on the TVs or whatnot and say, hey, you know, c- c- join this program here and, and you'll make millions, you know, selling real estate or you'll, you'll, you'll make millions, uh, you know, going into the stock market 
supermarket here. You know, do this program. You'll lose a lot of weight. You know, all these things, all these testimonials. Guaranteed success, we think. But yet there's that disclaimer on the bottom. You ever notice that disclaimer on those infomercials? You ever notice those disclaimers whenever you go to these websites that promise success and, and prosperity and money and, and happiness and, and, and wealth and all that such? And, and on the disclaimer, it says individual results may vary, right? Testimonials are reflected only of past results specific to individuals shown. These are illustrative and not typical results. A lot of websites and claims that, hey, we will not be held responsible for any damages suffered. <laughs> There's no way to know and guarantee the success in this world, we think. You know? There's three things the preacher has clearly laid out that we do not know. We don't know how to predict the future, what the future holds. We don't know the things that only God can do, and we don't know how to guarantee success. So then what? Then knowing these things that we do not know, again, under the sun, on earth, this now is what we ought to know. And gives us a life perspective above the sun here. Going back to verse one and two again. Knowing the things that we do not know, and if you truly believe it, then look with me again in verse one to two. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Again, for you do not know what disaster may happen, right? And it's confusing perhaps, you know. Many different commentaries say different things, but perhaps that imperative verse, verb in uh, verse one, cast your bread upon the waters. It literally means send out your bread. And then the imperative command in verse two, give a portion to seven or eight. You know. We have bread, all of us do, in some way or form. Bible says, send it out. We have portions, I'm told now, to what? Give it to seven or eight. You know. These numbers ought to mean something. The Bible, that number seven is that symbol, the number of perfection, right? Perhaps it's saying that this is going to seven or eight is meaning give it completely. And then, number eight, give it even more, right? Perhaps it's saying today, give it to the nth degree. We don't know, you know, what the future holds and, and what will happen to all the things that we even have. We don't know what will happen to all our possessions that we've accrued and such. So what the Bible is saying, cast it out, give it. Give it again, sit loose with what you have. Don't cling onto your possessions and hold onto it with such a stranglehold. Loose it out. Loose it out, give. You know, you know we, I, I, I see my boys, they're watching YouTube all the time now, it's terrible. We're trying to manage them somehow, but a lot of these YouTube videos that are really, it's, it's astounding how many millions of subscribers some of these you know, uh, you know, YouTubers have, right? And, and I see these subscribers. There's this artist, uh, this, this, I think, Asian guy who, who, who like, designs and, and, and creates this beautiful piece of art like on like, iPads and iPods and, and iMacs and such. And, and what he does, he, he goes into the streets and literally meets a group of people and says, hey, rock, paper, scissors, if you win, this iPad's yours, and they win, they're going crazy, here's yours, here's a free $2,000 iPad. We're looking, what is, what, what's going on? How is that fair? What did that person do to deserve this? It's ridiculous. He's giving out all these things. There's this other guy, you know, Mr. Beast or whatever, he goes and does these challenges in, in a spatter of, of, of one minute. You can go and you have, you have 10 
$10,000 free money to spend and, and store, and they're going crazy. And all these people are clicking on these links. I was like, like this is insane. I'm like drawn to it. Why are we drawn to these episodes? Why are we so you know, intrigued by what we're seeing? You know, these thousands, even millions of dollars being given out for free. Is that what the Bible's talking about? We're drawn to this because this is not how we're naturally, you know, programmed. What we think, you know. That we, we ought to just be giving freely. You know? This is not how we, we are, are, are naturally ingrained in, in, in uh, what we possess and such. And, and so, so when we see something like that, we're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. You know, I can't believe what I'm seeing here, right? But the question again is, uh, what are the motivations in giving, right? Why is uh, this, you know, uh, YouTuber giving out all these amazing, you know, free gifts and money, millions of dollars worth. Why? Well, you know, he's very honest, you know. In an article, he said, well, I'm trying to get more hits, right? I'm trying to get more subscribers. God, the more subscribers, the more money I make, right? So I can spend $200,000 making a YouTube video, and then with the hits and views, then now I'm actually going to be making millions from that video. There's motivations, attention, you know, glory. The Bible's motive, we know, is very different. The Bible's motive in giving uh, what we have is very different, right? This generosity, this gospel generosity is something that is not of this world under the sun. It's a generosity that we only see that came from above the sun church, right? And we see this, of course, exemplified in our greatest motivation, our, our number one reason why we give is because God gave, right? He gave us his son, Jesus, right? If we think about what that gift is to us, that free gift that's called grace, a gift that we don't deserve, that when he sent his son, Jesus, uh, as God comes down on earth, Jesus reminds us in Mark, he came not to be served and to be lifted up as a king and just exalted in that kind of way. No, he came not to be served, but to serve, to serve us beings, created beings and ultimately the verse says he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many right that Jesus came with a purpose one purpose really his life was to give and ultimately to give his life as a ransom as a paid ransom for you and I our sins that we ought to have paid right And that's why Jesus says in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross now and follow me. For whoever would save his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it, right? Why are we called then to to live in this kind of truth? Whoever would save his life will actually lose it. Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will actually save it. Why? It's because that's what Jesus did. Because Jesus didn't just talk about it. Jesus didn't just say it and and just tell us we should do that. No, he lived it. He lived it himself, right? And if that is true, and if we believe in what Christ has done, his gift, a gift that we can never, ever pay back, a gift that we can never, ever do enough works on our own to match. That is only a gift that God could give to us. If we grasp the beauty of that gift, that will motivate us to carry out this truth that Ecclesiastes is talking about, to cast our bread upon the waters, to give a portion to seven or even to eight. 
to give even more than we have, in a sense. You know, in discipleship, we're talking about we had this generosity uh, section of truth, and, and there's these schools of generosity and how we grow in our generosity as we mature in our faith, right? You know, this last this, uh, stage of, of generosity, is, you know, beyond the graduate school, is this sense of giving even what we do not have in faith, right? For what God will do with that. I mean, can you imagine? Not just giving what we have, that's hard enough. But giving what we even don't have, that's that ultimate level of generosity that Christ calls us to. Right? To send it out to the ninth, to the eighth degree, to do it in a way that hurts, in a way that it costs. That kind of giving is costly, you know. So often we minimize, I think, God's grace and, and his gift to us. I think we minimize what Christ did on that cross and that grace that we freely accept and receive, you know. We say, thank you, Jesus, again, remember that poor man last week, the poor man's wisdom that saved the city. We say, thank you, Jesus, for saving us, okay. Thank you for what you did there, okay. I appreciate it. Now that gives me, what, license to you know, do whatever I want and just live however I please. Why? Because now what you did, Jesus, it gives me a ticket to heaven so now I can be and, and do whatever I please. How often do we cheapen God's grace in doing that? How often do we cheapen the great cost that it costs God everything in giving us his son? Our giving ought to exemplify that sense of costliness, the Bible is saying. For what we do know is what God has given to us that ought to lead us to be giving in this life. A life that leads us to see not just a a perception of of what success and failure is. Again, we don't know, uh, we can't guarantee success and failure without clearly what the uh, preacher is saying here. But what is success truly in God's eyes? What does it mean to be successful, right? In verse six, I believe he gives us that summary of that as we close here. This final exhortation in telling us what we ought to do in aiming for success. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good, church. In the morning, when you get up, sow your seed, and at evening do not withhold not your hand. In essence, live your life to the full in the gift that God has given to you today. Be wise about your desire for success and perhaps even the counterpart, our fear of failure. Think about that, church. You know, how often are we living, um, perhaps in this coming week or, or, or this year, we have a goals, this is what I need to do to be successful, but perhaps because of what the pandemic has caused, maybe we're gripped by the other extreme in fear. We're pressed, paralyzed by fear. You know, I see that even happening in our membership, in our church. I'm talking and, and praying with uh, many of you guys and, and hearing your honesty, I'm so grateful for that. But what we do here so more often now, you know, that, hey, I, I don't know if I, if I feel comfortable coming to church you know, yet, you know. For a year now, so many of us have been used to now at home, in our apartments or homes, 
perhaps you know, afraid to come out, afraid to come into this community. Perhaps it has led to complacency, and I know many of you have shared it's led to a cold season in your faith, feeling more distant with God. It's not a surprise if we are honest. You know, this faith journey, this spiritual journey is not meant to be walked alone. It's not meant to be just be done individually in our privacy of our homes. God has given us a church, a community to walk this journey together. And for some of us and many of us, we have not been together in this season. And I was speaking to this, this member and uh, talking to this uh, brother, actually, and, and I was hearing his concerns. You know, I don't know, you know. I'm just afraid of, of getting the virus. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. I'm afraid of getting sick. And I was asking you know, this brother, yes, those are gra- you know, granted, yeah, those are legitimate fears. But why are you, again, afraid to die? Why are you afraid of death, really, when it comes down to it? And the question really comes down to what is perhaps something even more dangerous? What is something perhaps that we ought to be more afraid of than even dying under the sun here? Even more afraid of getting the virus and getting the COVID-19, I, I believe, I truly believe there's something even more dangerous. And that's when our relationship with God grows cold. When our relationship with the living God grows apart. And for some of us, falling away from our faith, backsliding, you can say whatever you want. I believe that's worse than death, church. I do. Some of us are making a decision today, living in fear, because we don't want to get the virus and whatever may happen to us at the cost of what? At the cost of our spiritual life with God who's given to us. What's worse, church? What's worse than death? I believe it's living in a world in fear, gripped by fear, not living, you know, the life that God has given to us even in the midst of a pandemic, church. And there's this illustration, you know, one of my, I would say my favorite top movie of all time. I mean, this is a crazy thing, right? What is your favorite movie of all time? My probably, I would say, is Braveheart. Okay? Braveheart, I know. It's old school, but remember that conclusion of the, of the movie? I'm not going to give things away too much here. I recommend you watch it, but William Wallace, again, the, the leader that's leading that revolution against England, for the Scottish uh, you know, people, he's preparing to face his executioners. And as he's about to die, uh, he's offered uh, this anesthetic by the princess of France who is there and she wants to numb his pain, the pain that will surely come in his imminent death and torture. He refuses to drink. And he says in this one scene, he says to the princess, In this conversation, as she says to him, you know, William, you will die, and it will be awful, she says. William Wallace replies, every man dies. Not every man really lives. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. I wonder, church, what difference it would make in our lives 
we believed that there are things that are worse than dying here on earth, you know, under the sun. I pray, church, as we close today, that we will live not in fear, but in the life that God has given to us in faith, to believe that all things are under his sovereignty. We don't know the things only God can do. We cannot predict the future. We cannot guarantee success, avoid failure, but God knows, and all things are under his control. Do we believe, church, in our sovereign king? You know, we're about to close and respond in this song, you know, in control. The words that we sang before this, you know, worship service today. I lift my hands to heaven today, God. I hear my heart surrender. I tell my soul again, you are Lord of all. Help me to believe. And though the seas are raging, we are in a pandemic. Even today, our church doors are closed. But God, I believe you will speak and tame the raging seas. For in you, I find my rest. In you, you are in control. Through valleys that we are in today, I will trust. Pray for your spirit. It be enough to keep me walking, to guide my every step. Lord, I need you. Oh, how we need you. Help me to trust in you, to live our life, the life that you called us to. This coming week, for your glory's sake, let's pray, church. Go to him. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. May we pray that we would live such that life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the QPEM podcast. For more information on our church, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's Q-P-E-M.org.